Thank you, Steve. If you have your Bibles, join with me in Colossians chapter 4. It is great to be here with you to worship, and it's good to see everyone here. I know a lot of people have been coming and going with summer vacation plans, and for those of you who have been gone for a little while, it's great to have you back. I, I want to point to just one more announcement in the bulletin before we open up God's Word together. On the back of the bulletin, it tells a little bit about all the exciting things that happened at Camp Living Waters this summer. And As you may or may not know, uh, the church makes it possible for um, kids to go to summer camp uh, totally free, minus the, the, the initial deposit. Uh, we want to get as many kids to summer camp as possible. We have a donor that pays for half of that anonymously, and then the other half comes through our church's donations. Uh, and, and I just want to just make mention to you that we still need a little bit to make up for the church's part for the kids that went to summer camp. So if, if you're interested in, in helping out that way, just make a note of it and, and drop it in the, in the offering boxes in the back. You can just mark Camp Fund or Summer Camp, and it'll find its way to that, to that fund. So today we are going to um, go through verses 2 through 6. And we're going to talk a little bit about communication in the world that we live in. It's so important the way that we communicate. And this passage, as we're going to see today, talks about, first of all, our communication with God and then our communication with those around us. So if you found Colossians chapter 4 in your Bibles, follow along as I read verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. I read a, a kind of a funny story this week of, a, of an elderly lady who was going to go down Florida camping. And uh, she hadn't camped a whole lot, really didn't know what to expect on this little outdoor adventure. Uh, but one of the biggest concerns she had was the toilet facilities. Now, I'm assuming this story occurred before the advent of the Internet. And um, it was back when people still wrote letters. And so she wanted to write a letter to the campground to ask about what, what the, the toilets were like. She was just a little bit, little bit nervous about this. But being kind of prim and proper, she didn't, she didn't want to just say toilets. She felt that was kind of, you know, it just didn't, didn't seem right. It didn't seem very politically correct. So she was trying to think of a phrase that would sound a little bit softer. And so she thought of a, a bathroom commode. But even that seemed just a little bit you know, not her, not, not, you know, kind of below her to write that. So she thought she'd abbreviate it as BC. And that was a euphemism that she thought sounded real politically correct. So she wrote to the camp director and wanted to know about the BC. Well, he scratched his head when he got the letter and really didn't know what to think. So he asked a few people, what do you think this lady means? And after talking to some people, he became convinced that she was asking about the local Baptist church. And so this is his reply to her. He says, Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite and is, and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know the great number of people, that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. 
They usually arrive early and stay late. In fact, the last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper in the middle of the BC so that every, everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would, I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in the cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go along with you the first time you go. <laughs> so maybe, maybe some of you have been involved in a situation where your communication was just not really clear, that there were some lines crossed and you were saying one thing and the other person was hearing another and you were reminded just of the importance of getting your message across clearly. Well, we're going to talk about a couple of different forms of communication here in this passage. And if you have your notes, uh, you can follow along. The first aspect that we're going to look at is communicating with God. Communicating with God. How important is it that we spend time communicating with God? We all know that for a marriage relationship to work, or even a close friendship to work, there needs to be some level of communication, especially in marriage, right? There has to be time spent talking with one another, understanding where each other, uh, where we're at and, and what we're feeling and what we're going through and our struggles. And uh, communication is so crucial. How much so, uh, how much more important is it in our relationship with God? And so he tells us right in verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And that's the way we communicate with God is through prayer. That's the, the term the Bible uses talk, for talking to God is prayer. And the first thing he tells us about this is that we need to pray persistently. We need to come at it and come at it hard on a constant basis. That word means to busy yourself with or to be busily engaged in, to be devoted to. Listen, a strong prayer life does not just happen. We don't stumble into a consistent, regular time of prayer with God. It takes a concentrated and devoted and focused effort. I wish there was an easier way. If there was uh, five steps to, to making it quicker, I would share them with you. But it, it simply takes us deciding that we're going to make time for prayer and being devoted to it. Having our, having our hearts fully engaged in this. And that's what he reminds the, the Colossian Christians that, that we need to be continuing steadfastly. You know, he modeled that for them. If you remember all the way back in chapter 1, verse 9, he says he had not ceased praying for these Colossian Christians. A steadfast and a regular time of prayer was an important part of Paul's life. He knew that he couldn't do ministry without it. He couldn't, he couldn't get through his days without consistent time talking to God. If the Apostle Paul, the great giant of the early church, needed that, how much more so do you and I need it? So he says, Con continue steadfastly in prayer. The next phrase he says is, is being watchful in it. And so I want to remind us that we need to pray vigilantly. Not only do we pray persistently, but we pray vigilantly as well. This is a word that describes someone who is awake and alert. Uh, this morning, Owen uh, got up, decided he was, and he was very significantly wet. And so he was shouting at us from his bedroom. Uh, he, he calls everything poop. Everything, no matter the state of his diaper, it's always poop. 
Fortunately, that was a false alarm, but it was, it was certainly a wet one. And so he let us know at four o'clock this morning, poop. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was wet and he was soaked. His pajamas were soaked. His seat was soaked. And so I, we got him all changed, but he just did not want to, you know, he was going through his, his list to keep going. Book, milk. I mean, he just was listening to everything he could do to not have to get back in that crib. And so finally I got him to sleep and I couldn't fall back to sleep. So I got up and, and just started praying and thinking a little bit about this morning. And so I needed a little extra coffee because I, I, I got up at four o'clock and didn't go back to bed. And, and uh, I, for, for me to be vigilant this morning, I needed a little bit of assistance from the coffee pot. And, and Paul, Paul reminds us that when it comes to our prayer life, that we always need to have this mentality, whether we've got coffee or not, whether, what, no matter what time of the day we got up, no matter what time of the day we're praying, we need to be vigilant, be aware and alert. We're told this elsewhere in Scripture. We're reminded in 1 Peter 5, 8, that we need to be sober-minded and watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowl, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We need to be Christians who are, who are alert, who are paying attention to the needs around us. And you can see the application to prayer immediately. You know, as, as Mindy was, was mentioning this morning during the worship service, we know that there are people here today who are hurting. You may be suffering greatly, and you may have never said anything to anyone. And it may be tough for you to talk about. It may be tough for you to open up. And so as, as Christians, what we need to be, we need to be doing is, is praying for ways to make that happen so that we can come alongside and, and be, be alert and vigilant and just say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you this week. You look like you might be struggling, or is there anything that I can, I can particularly bring before God on your behalf? And when we get, when we get a little um, lovingly nosy like that, maybe, maybe we're going to be able to unearth something that this person really needs to have prayed for. So we need to be vigilant in our prayers. You may have heard the story of the the, the recovery efforts in Pompeii, uh, as you know, the, the whole island was destroyed by, a, by Mount Vesuvius in uh, 79 AD. Of course, people were buried in the ruins, and, and you can find them to this day. They were found in different positions, hiding, crouching, and some, were, some had found little corners of buildings to try to hide out, to, to get away from the lava. One of the most interesting finds that archaeologists discovered there was at the city gate. The, um, the sentry, the Roman centurion, the sentinel that had been placed there at the city gate, he was discovered that uh, with, buried with his, still at his post by the gates with his weapon still in hand. And even in the midst of all of the, the tremors and, and the, the eruptions and everything, he, he stood at his post. He was still being watchful because that was his job. He was given that position to be a lookout and he didn't forsake his post, no matter what was going on around him. And it's a good reminder as Christians that we need to be always vigilant, sticking with it, being, being alert and ready to pray, be on the lookout for needs at any time. He reminds us also that we need to pray thankfully. To pray thankfully. He says there in verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. A thankful heart reflects that we understand where the answers come from. It, it, it's, it's, it's reminded that, that God is answering a prayer. It's not just a, a mere happenstance or a coincidence that this thing took place, but we recognize that there is a, a source behind the answer, and it's, it's God himself. 
Just as we were singing, I was reminded of a, of a prayer that God answered on Friday that, that I hadn't really taken time to thank him for. I mean, it was so clear and so obvious that God had been working in this situation. And I just, I just was reminded that I had blown right by the answer without a, a word of gratitude to him. And I, I just was convicted about that, that, that God daily is answering our prayers. And we all know not always the way that we want or hope, but God is daily answering our prayers. How often do we take time to show gratitude for that? I'm reminded of the story in Luke 17 of the 10 lepers that Jesus healed. And they went on their way. They were so, so thrilled that they were clean. They could rejoin the, their communities. Only one of them stopped in his tracks and said, wait a minute. I know that I just didn't get healed accidentally or through taking some medicine. I know that that man back there was the one that healed me. And he ran back and, and thanked Jesus for what he had done. You and I can look around us and count our blessings on a daily basis. We need to make sure that we take time to thank God for what he has done. Verse 3 reminds us to pray for open doors. Number 4, pray for open doors. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. This is where we get that phrase that we often Use in our, in our Christianese language. You know, I'm praying for a door to open up. This is, this is the passage that it comes from. And Paul recognized that as he traveled around, there was going to be opposition around every corner. There were people that hated him, people that wanted him dead, people that wanted to oppose the spread of the gospel. And so he knew that God would have to go before him and open up doors for the word to go forth. You know, that takes a lot of pressure off you and me. It, it, it reminds us that, that we don't have to do arm twisting. We don't have to do coercion or, or manipulation to get people to believe. We ask God to go before us and then, then, then sow those seeds and ask God to be at work on those people's hearts. It's not up to you and I to, to make someone believe. It's up to you and I to take the message to them, to pray for them, to love them. But ultimately, it's, it's between them and God whether they're going to trust in Christ. And so Paul prayed that God would go ahead and open these doors. If you read through the book of Acts, uh, you know, some of the stories that we studied were evidences of this, of God going ahead. If you read Acts chapter 16, there was a, there was a girl there named Lydia in Philippi. And, and, and Paul and, and, and his companions went into the city and they're just they're looking for ways to present the gospel and they meet this girl by the riverbank and they start chatting with her and it turns out she, she's a pretty important person in the city and one thing led to another and all of a sudden people are getting saved by the, by the dozens and a church gets planted all because God opened up a door through a conversation with one lady. Don't underestimate the power of a single conversation. Don't underestimate the ability to, to have some influence on one person and what might seem like a a random or, a, or an insignificant encounter. Because maybe God is opening up a door to get the gospel out. That's something that we're praying for the ladies in Nicaragua, that, that new relationships would be made over there, and, and that while they're there, that, that God might open up ministry opportunities that they never even expected. And so Paul was trusting God to open up a door for the word. The fifth thing that he prays for is for clarity. We need to pray for clarity. 
I am just amazed that the Apostle Paul prays this. But in verse 4, he says, Pray that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Any of you ever struggle with the right words to say when you're, when you're sharing Christ? I know I have. I know there have been times when I th- I've, been, I've backed down from those opportunities because I think, I, I just, I, I think, you know, there's no way that I'm going to know what to say. There's no way I'm going to figure out what to do. So I'm just not going to say anything at all. How little faith is that? You know, I, I, I realize it's a fictional story, but my wife and I finally uh, got around to watching God's Not Dead last night. And what a, what a great testimony, the young man in college being willing to step up and speak when, when nobody around him was speaking up. And I realized that he had a script, okay? This was a, this was a movie. But God calls us to opportunities each and every day where we, we need to be willing to speak up, not knowing what the outcome's going to be. And just ask God, God, give me those words to say. The great apostle Paul needed to ask God for clarity. So it's okay if we, do too, if we need to as well. But what he didn't do is wait around for, for those words to magic, magically form in his mouth and to force them, their way out. We need to ask God for clarity, trust God for it, and then step out in boldness to, to share and, and expecting that God will work through our imperfect, uh, our imperfect talents and gifts. Because that's what God wants to do. So as we think about our communication with God, it's a crucial launching pad to our communication with the world. If we're not in touch with God, we are not going to be equipped to communicate with the world. Does that make sense? Uh, it, if, I, if, I'm not, if I'm not going back to in, in being spiritually filled up, spiritually nourished, spiritually strengthened, I'm not going to have the strength I need to go out in the world and, and communicate the gospel with them. So here's where he shifts in verse 5 to our communication with the world. First of all, he tells us about a lived witness. Verse 5 says that we need to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Of course, he's speaking metaphorically here. He's not talking about going for a walk, but he's, he's speaking of the way that we carry ourselves as we conduct our lives. Live in such a way, he is saying. Live in a wise way around the, the people who don't know Christ. Walk wisely. Don't be foolish. Uh, Ephesians 5, this is a parallel passage. He tells us, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. Almost word for word here. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So his, his message to us as Christians is when you're living around non-Christians, don't be stupid, but be wise. Don't be foolish. Don't make an idiot of yourself. And, and you could flesh that out any, in all kinds of different ways. But I think he's talking about don't, don't do foolish things. Don't live sinfully among non-Christians. Don't do things that are going to hurt your witness for Christ. But, but be wise. Think about the kinds of things you're doing. Think about the kinds of things you're saying. Think about how you're using your time and your resources around non-Christians. What are your conversations about? He says, walk wisely. And so we, we have an, a, 
we have an important, important job as non-Christians, or as Christians among non-Christians, to live in such a way that our, our lives are a witness to them. I won't go so far as to say, I, the, the quote is, is uh, attributed to a lot of different people throughout history, but um, what does it say? Uh, something along the lines of uh, share the gospel and use words when necessary, something along those lines. That, that's, not, that's not what he's calling us to. We're, we're supposed to use our mouth. We're supposed to, to speak the truth. But our lives do speak volumes. And we need to live in such a way that other people recognize our witness for Christ, recognize our relationship with Christ, and not live in a way that's, that's going to do damage to our witness. Then next we have our, our spoken witness. Our spoken witness. I love this verse, verse 6. He says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Hmm. So we, we recognize the importance of the way we live around non-Christians, but the way that we speak around them is crucial as well. And so the first thing he tells us about this is, is that we need to speak graciously. Oh, Christians, we need to speak graciously. He says, let your speech be always gracious. The idea of grace is is having a, a, a winning quality or attractiveness that invites a, a favorable reaction. Graciousness, attractiveness, charm. Remember as a kid, my mom would often, you know, I, I had four boys in my family as well, and, and we had a, not, didn't have a huge house. And so if the weather was nice, frankly, if the weather wasn't nice, uh, she would be like, listen, I need some mom time now. You guys are all out. And we were homeschooled too, so we were just like, all, all around all the time. And so she would be like, I want you guys to go outside and I want you to see it for like five hours. And so she would, you know, throw a few slabs of bread out there and, and lock all the doors. And, and uh, you know, if you need a drink of water, the hose was out there. But and of course, we were all boys, so the bathroom was out there too. And uh, I remember though, sometimes after those, those long hours of praying, you know, mom usually didn't, even in those quiet times, she usually didn't sit around much. It was her chance to get chores done and and oftentimes she would bake. And so sometimes as we would emerge from the wood, woods after chopping down trees and slaying all kinds of little critters with our BB guns, uh, coming upon the house, we could smell the pies of cooking. My mom, even to this day, loves to bake pies. And, and we, could, we could smell that smell from all the way in the, the, the back of the yard, drawing us in like a tractor beam. It was, it was time to come home. <laughs> Dinner was about ready, and we knew dessert was going to be even better. That, that smell drew us back. No matter how many times we were shooed away, the, the smell of the baking always brought us back in. And, and that's kind of what Paul is telling us here. Our, our speech should be something that, that draws people in. Our speech should be grace, gracious. It should be something that, that people want to hear more of. And, and that might be, as, as you start to think about the way you talk or some of the words you've used in the last week or two, that might be a little bit convicting because he reminds us that our speech should always be gracious. Always. I, I studied this word hoping that it meant something else other than always. But it, it doesn't. It's, it's a 24-7 word. 
That means that our words, no matter what time of the day, no matter how we feel, whether we're exhausted, whether we're feeling chipper, whether we're around our best friend or the most annoying person in the world, we need to speak graciously. We all love to go on vacation. Well, most of us love to go on vacation, love to take trips and and just get a rest and get away from it all. But our speech does not get to go on vacation from being gracious. We don't ever get to stop being gracious. And that includes when you're hiding behind your computer screen on social media. We can be some of the boldest and some of the nastiest people when it comes to uh, hiding behind a computer screen and posting things on the internet. We need to be willing to have gracious speech. This is talking about when we're talking to our spouses, our kids, Christians, non-Christians, even the most antagonistic non-Christian. We need to have gracious speech all the time. Our speech needs to be winsome. It says seasoned with salt. In ancient times, salt was used for preserving and was consumed to help replace natural salts, which the body lost through perspiration in the hot climate. But salt was also used just like today as a seasoning. And when you eat something that's seasoned properly, it makes you want more. If you take a bite of something that's really bland and you're expecting a little spice, a little zest to it, you're not really excited about going in for that second bite. But if it's well seasoned, if, it, if, it's, if, it's, if it's got some spice to it, if you like spice, if it's got a little flavor to it, you want more. You want to go back for another bite and another bite and another bite. And he says our speech should be the same way. It should leave people wanting more. It should leave people wanting another encounter with the words of life. And then he says, speak with insight. Verse 6, so that you, know, you may know how you ought to answer each person. As you speak graciously and winsomely to those in the world around you, questions will come up. People will wonder, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, about the hope that you have. Be ready to answer those people. Be ready to share your faith. We're going to talk about that in just a second here as we draw some application. So as we think about how does this, how does this work out practically in our life, what are some ways that, that I can speak graciously with other people? Because all of us have been in trouble with our mouths at one way or the, at one point or another. Some of us more so than others. Some of us, this is a battle on a daily basis to watch our tongue. James has some really strong words about the, the danger, the, 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 just how serious the damage can be done by, by a spoken word. And so as Christians, we need to be mindful and careful of how we're using our words. So as we're communicating with those around us, and being gracious in our speech, here are some practical things for us to think about. First of all, use your tongue to encourage. Use your words to build people up. First uh, Thessalonians 5.11, Paul writes, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. Some of you guys, and, and ladies, I won't be discriminatory here, some of you men and women are good at doing stuff with your hands. You're good at building things. You get an idea in your mind, and you're able to just see that, spring forth into reality. I can't build anything. <laughs> anything that is going to expect it to stand more than a day or two. Um, but as, as we think about that uh, in spiritual terms, we need to use our words to build people up. No matter how good you are with your hands at stuff, we can all use our words 
to strengthen and, and build people up, to edify others. Our encouragement to others should be constant. Look for ways to strengthen somebody. It might just be as simple as small, brief words. Uh, times of It could be as, as something as big as times of teaching and instruction in, in a Sunday school class. Come alongside somebody today and use your words to strengthen them. Maybe it's a simple compliment on, on uh, how they look, but try to go deeper than that. Hey, you know, I noticed, I noticed you serving in this area of church the other day, and I just watched how you, were, how you were interacting with those people, and I just want you to know that you are such a blessing to so many people. Even better yet, take time to jot a note. I know I said earlier nobody writes anymore. We should. A handwritten note goes a long way. At the very least, zip them an email. And if you're going to be super lazy about it, a text. But try to go the extra mile. Write a handwritten note. I hear they are still selling postage stamps at the post office. They still deliver mail. And there are still avenues for you to, to send that to their house without clicking a button. It takes a little bit more work. But jot somebody a handwritten note of encouragement. Your child's Sunday school teacher. Your own Sunday school teacher. Someone that you, you just notice in church day in and day out and you think maybe could use a word of encouragement. And build people up. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to come alongside each other and rally around each other and, and to to let, let them know that we care, that we're praying for them, and that the work that they're doing on behalf of Christ matters. Many of you are familiar with John Wesley, who was a great pastor and evangelist. His mom, Susanna Wesley, gave birth to 19 children. <laughs> Collective groans. 19 children, 10 of whom grew to adulthood. Wow. Susanna, quote-unquote, homeschooled her children during their elementary years. The boys in the family were so well prepared by their mother's instruction that they were able to go to Oxford University at the age of 16, but with one year of preparatory school. John Wesley became founder of the United Methodist, or the Methodist Church. Charles was a celebrated hymn writer and composed over 5,000 hymns. Samuel, another brother, was a scholarly priest of the Church of England. And one daughter, Martha, was a member of the inner circle of the famous lexographer, Dr. Samuel Johnson. In a letter written by Susanna to her son, John, she told of her relationship with the children. This is what she said. She said, I take as much time as I can spare every night to talk with each child separately. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday with Charles and Emily and Suki together on Sunday. Each child had his or her own day. Once when her famous son John was struggling with a difficult situation, he wrote to his mother, Oh, mother, what I would give for a Thursday evening. He still remembered as a child the times, as, as strained and difficult as it was with all those kids, that she found time to encourage and strengthen her son. Listen, parents... We have a responsibility to do the same with our kids. Listen, no compliment is not a compliment. The absence of criticism is not encouragement. 
We need to take time to use the words that God has given us to build others up. Church, at work, at home, look for ways to strengthen. And then just real quickly, these last couple, uh, as we think about using our words, we need to remember to be tender. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says, to comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with them all. We need to understand where people are at. And if we, if we discover someone is really struggling, someone is really hurting, someone is really floundering, be careful with the, ah, get over it. Buck up and deal with it. Maybe if you're talking to a guy, maybe there are times when he needs to hear that. But be careful. Be gentle. Be patient with someone who is struggling. Use your words to exhibit tenderness. This might seem like a complete contradiction, but we can speak grace by rebuking one another. That doesn't doesn't maybe at the forefront seem gracious, but listen to this verse. Revelation 3.19, God says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Sometimes grace will move us to challenge somebody who is deeply embedded in sin or who is heading down a wrong path who has been making some unwise choices. And the, and the loving and the gracious thing that we can do for them is to come alongside and say, knock it off, knucklehead. Come back to Christ. Turn away from these choices you're making because they're, they're leading you down to a, a path of destruction. That's gracious. Whether it may, seem, it may not seem like it at first, but God says he loves us, so he, he reproves us. He chastens us. He disciplines us. Fourthly, we can speak grace by sharing what you learn. You might be saying, listen, I, I know what you're saying about opening your mouth and trusting God and, and trusting God for an open door, but I'm, I'm still not eloquent. I'm, I have all I can do to, to talk to myself in the mirror, let alone a stranger. How can, how can I do this? Listen, one of, the, one of the great ways that you can build somebody up is just tell them what God's been teaching you. You don't have to prepare a lesson. You don't have to develop an outline. You don't have to study big, fat books to come up with all kinds of crazy, amazing answers to their questions, but just tell somebody what you're learning. If you don't know how to encourage somebody this week, write them a note and just, just share a verse that God has blessed you with this week. Share a, share a verse from a song that has been running around in your mind that's been encouraging your soul, because maybe it'll bless them as well. And then lastly, share your story. If you're out witnessing and sharing the gospel and, and you're not sure where to take the conversation. Tell them what God has done in your life. Tell them how you came to faith in Jesus. Because no matter how militant the atheist is, no matter how antagonistic the person is to the gospel and all the, the maybe the, the scientific and, and historical things that they've got to try to shoot down your arguments, the one thing they can't argue is what God has done in your life. Share that with them. Be willing to share your story. So we have a lot to think about when it comes to communication. First of all, we need to think about our communication with God. And we need to start there. Our relationship with God needs to be so that we're, we're talking to Him on a regular basis and bringing these requests before Him. And then we also need to think about our, our communication with the outside world, with, with Christians and non-Christians alike. Our speech needs to be gracious. It needs to be seasoned with salt so that the people want more. And we need to be in a position where we're ready to to give an answer to the hope that is within us. Let's pray. God, I am never 
I never cease to be amazed that, that your word meets us where we're at. And some of us uh, struggle mightily when it comes to our words, using them in the right ways or using them uh, to, to share Christ. Maybe for some of us today, the verses on, on prayer struck home to us because we've, we've recognized that, that our time with Christ our time talking to you has, has just not been what it should be. God, may this not be a time for guilt and beating ourselves up by how we haven't prayed enough, but may it be a time to spur us on to, to pray more. May we recognize the need to, to commune with our Father. And then may we recognize the importance today, God, of, of using our words to build up and speak grace to those around us so that others might be strengthened and encouraged so they might get a little, a little whiff, a little fragrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and be left wanting more. And I thank you that you're going to strengthen us for these things this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.